Craig. Hello, welcome to today's episode of Juicing the Numbers, your statistics and sports podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Joshua Tracing. And uh, I'm Corbin Heller. And uh, we are... Before we begin, I got something I want to say. All right, let it out. It has come to my attention that you don't edit out when I say sup, Craig, every single episode. I never do. I had no idea because I don't listen to our podcast after we record it because I know what I said. I don't need to hear it again. Um, Yeah, I had no idea. How did you come to that revelation? uh, When it asked me, hey, why do you say hello to a Craig every episode? (laughs) (laughs) Just Craig. I was like... (laughs) Oh, yeah, no, that's just, like, a bot on Discord that records our stuff. Like, is that, you hear that every episode? She's like, yeah, every episode. I was like, oh, that's new information to me. Okay. (laughs) And I always make sure I have the music start to come down right as you say it, too. That's what she said. She's like, yeah, the music stops, and you say, sup, Craig? And I was like, ah, okay. (laughs) Oh my god, dude! I've been doing that for so long. I can't believe you just came to this this realization. That's amazing. Why would I listen to a podcast I was present for the recording for and know everything that was said? So that you you mean you don't jerk off to these later? No, not typically. Only if I'm in that kind of mood. And then well, I guess you have the good parts. I guess you haven't been in that kind of mood in a while then. No, no, no. Uh, uh, I'm I'm glad that you have come to this realization. Um, it's one of the reasons I'm so insistent upon you saying it now. Now it's part of the thing. Uh, uh, I get it. I get it now. It's fun. It's a fun little. It's a it's a little Easter egg. Any <laughs> anyway, um, we're we're here to talk today. We're here today to make me sad. That is why we're here today. Um, Nothing I love the, more. The Jets are bad, and this is a very timely episode for us since the Jets played their Thursday night game on, well, Thursday night, and we record these episodes on Sunday, which means in a typical week, either the Jets game would be happening right as we're recording this at 3.40 in the afternoon on Sunday, Um, but we have the entirety of their game under our belt already, and boy, was it disappointing, even by Jet standards. Um, and that is just another nail in what should be the coffin of Adam Gase and the subject for today's episode. Since so, since you, Corwin, did a lot of the legwork for today, um, some might say all of it. Uh, why don't you, uh, why don't you get us started on it? All right, so, um, I basically had the idea, uh, after hearing about you know, discussing with me and Josh how awful Adam Gase is. We both know this. We both talk about it often. Um, And then hearing how much the Johnsons apparently just really love the guy and don't really care to see him move on from the team. uh, I wanted to uh, really break down and prove how bad Josh, not Josh McDaniels, holy shit. Also, he is bad. How bad Adam Gase is. Um, So I did. Basically, I basically went back all the way to 2005, uh, his first time as an offensive assistant in the NFL. And uh, yeah, so this first tab, offensive history, it's got that. It's got his position, who the coach was, so we could look at that, see the contact context with that. We have all of their key offensive players, you know, quarterbacks, 
top receivers, top running back, their record. And then we break down the actual offensive numbers of these offenses that Adam Gase was a part of. So the numbers we're going to be looking at are points per game, their scoring rank in the NFL, total yards, total yards per game, where they rank in yards, and then breaking that down further into passing and rushing with those same categories. Um, And then, you know, a quick little context column of just how their season finished. Uh, So he is, Adam Gase has been a, a member of offensive coaching staffs all the way since 2005 when he started with the Lions under Steve Mariucci. So uh, let's get started. Let's do it. All right. 2005-2006, he was an offensive assistant under three separate head coaches uh, during that time. Uh, Three total years with the Lions, finished out in 2007 as a QB coach. How do you want to do this? Do you want to do each team, each season? How do you want to break this down? There's a lot here that we're going to go through. I don't know how you want to decide this. Uh, Whatever you think is going to be the best flow for you, I can follow along with any format here. Uh, I think it'd be easiest just to go through year by year. It might take a little longer, but I think we'd get a clearer picture of everything. Um, So 2005, offensive assistant for the Detroit Lions under Steve Mariucci, who was fired midseason. Dick Jauron took over as interim coach. Uh, Their quarterback that year was Joey Harrington, with Jeff Garcia having some spot starts. So you could tell off the bat that they're working with some high-caliber players. Roy Williams was their top receiver. And Kevin Jones of the Jonas Brothers was their top running back. Um, Finished the year 5-11. Scored 15.9 points per game. 28th in the league in scoring. Yeah, that's not good. Not good. 4,319 yards. So that's 270 a game. 27th in the NFL. 2,848 passing yards. 178 a game. 178 a game. And that's still 26th. I thought that would be significantly lower with 178 yards a game. That's criminally low. Mm. But that's what it is. Uh, They did have 1,471 rushing yards, 92 a game, which, again, is 26 in the NFL. So not a great start. I will say, to his defense, offensive assistants aren't exactly guys who have a very hands-on connection with that offense, the players, the coaching the play calling, what have you. But the team wasn't good. Um, Next year, 2006, Rod Marinelli takes over at head coach. John Kitna becomes the quarterback. Again, superstar quarterback John Kitna. Roy Williams is still the top receiver. He makes the Pro Bowl this year. Kevin Jones is still the running back. They do even worse, finishing 3-13. and Um, They improve offensively slightly. They're up four points or three points a game uh, to 21st rank, the 21st rank in the NFL. Nearly approached 5,000 total yards, 51 yards shy. Uh, brings them up to 22 in the NFL. Passing is where they took a massive, massive leap. They go from 2,850 yards to 3,820. 
239 a game. That's seventh in the NFL in passing. But rushing drops down to 1,129 yards, 71 a game. And that's dead last in the NFL. And they finished dead last in the NFC North. So there are improvements to the passing game. Kevin Jones, you know, not the best running back. Can't really get it done. Their rushing game suffers even more. Not looking great. So 2007, Gase is promoted to QB coach. Still has John Kitna. Sean McDonald becomes the top wide receiver in that offense. Kevin Jones is still the running back. They get they improve quite a bit. They go from three and thirteen to seven and nine. That's a four win bump. That's pretty good. They bump up a point and a half in scoring. They or sorry, two and a half points in scoring up to twenty one point six. That's sixteenth in the NFL. You should remember this sixteen. 5,166 yards, 323 a game, good for 19th in the NFL for total yards. Um, you know, uh, if we go through every number, you know, all these numbers, it's just going to get way too chaotic. So they are still top 10 in passing. They're number nine, but they're still 31st in rushing rank. So no real improvements there. Uh, really, the only major change comes with scoring and that scoring efficiency. But mm-hmm. Rod Marinelli fired after that season. Adam Gase goes as well. He moves over to the 49ers, where he becomes an offensive assistant under Mike Nolan, who's fired midseason. Mike Singletary, Hall of Fame linebacker, becomes the head coach. Uh, quarterback that year was a mix of Sean Hill and J.T. O'Sullivan. Isaac Bruce, the Hall of Famer at wide receiver, and Frank Gore, Frank Gore in 2008 was their uh, leading rusher. That was 12 years ago. Wow. Frank Gore is still the leading rusher for the team that he is coaching in 2020. Just a quick reminder. Fucking ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, 49ers go 79 that season, 21.2 points per game, 22nd in the NFL. Passing wise, or total yards, they finished 23rd. Passing, they finished 13th. Rushing, they finished 27th. So pretty par for the course with what we see in Adam Gase's offenses. Granted, still just an offensive assistant, doesn't have a huge impact. That's fine. Leaves in the offseason, becomes the wide receiver coach at the Denver Broncos in 2009 under head coach Josh McDaniels. Kyle Orton is his quarterback, so continuing with just the superstars he's got to work with at uh, quarterback. But he does have some pretty good wide receivers here. He's got Brandon Marshall, who makes a Pro Bowl. This was his uh, probably the best year of his career. Um, no Sean Marino, the rookie out of Wisconsin, becomes their starting running back. They go eight and eight, twentieth in scoring, fifteenth in passing, or fifteenth in total yards, thirteenth in passing, and then eighteenth in rushing. So by so all means, much mediocrity, right? Very mediocre. But it's not nearly as bad rushing-wise as the past stops he's had as wide receiver coach. He's not really involved with that, so you can't really chalk that up to him. Passing is where you want to focus. 13th isn't bad, especially when you have Kyle Orton there. 2010, wide receiver coach. Josh McDaniels gets fired midseason. Eric Stoogeville takes over. He still has Kyle Orton. He gets hurt. 
Tim Tebow, rookie out of Florida. Kind of a big college player. Gets taken in the first round. He takes over. Brandon Marshall is no longer there. So Brandon Lloyd takes over. And I didn't know this. Brandon Lloyd made the Pro Bowl this year. What? I don't even know who Brandon Lloyd is. No. But had a great season. Uh, no Sean Marino, again, top running back. Not quite nearly as good as they were in the previous year. Dropped to 4-12. and 12. Uh, 19th in scoring, so they drop one spot. 13th in total yards, so they bump up a little bit. Passing. They pass for over 4,000 yards. They bump up into the top 10. They're now 7th in the NFL. Rushing-wise, they drop down. Average under 100 yards a game. Finished 26th. Fourth in the AFC West, dead last. This is the turning point. This is just pure mediocrity. A couple top 10 seasons passing wise, but Adam Gase never really was a, a major factor. Wide receiver coach, coached two straight Pro Bowlers, did some good there, but wasn't nearly as hands on with how things are going. 2011, he gets promoted to QB coach. John Fox comes in. He still has Tim Tebow. He still has Kyle Orton. They split starts. There's some better wide receivers there. They got Eric Decker and Demarius Thomas now. Willis McGahee takes over the running back position. He goes to the Pro Bowl. They finish 8-8. Eight and eight. So while still quite mediocre, that's a four-win jump season to season. Average under 20 points a game, though. 25th in the NFL. 5,000 yards. Good for 23rd in the NFL. They passed the year before, they passed for over 4,000 yards. This year, with Tim Tebow, Kyle Orton, they passed for under 2,500, good for 31st in the NFL. That being said, they rush for 2,632 yards. That's insanity. They're averaging 165 rushing yards a game. That's the best in the NFL. Again, to provide full context, Adam Gase doesn't really have anything to add to that as QB coach. No. But at the same time, they win the AFC West after finishing dead last the year before. And this is the year they go to the wild card. They play the Steelers. Fuck him in the butt. Tebow has one of the greatest overtime plays of all time and is honestly one of the most scarring sports moments in my entire life. Fucking 75-yard pass, whatever it was, to Demarius Thomas with the longest windup in I've ever seen. It's like slow motion. And he just cuts across the middle of the field, takes it to the house, wins in overtime, goes on, beats the Steelers in overtime. They go on to lose to the Patriots 45 to 10 in the divisional round. Super or Patriots go on to lose in the Super Bowl that year. That's the turning point for them. Because you know what happens after this year? Tell me what happens after this year, Corwin. Peyton Manning comes to town. Who's that, Corwin? I don't know if you know Peyton Manning. He's a good quarterback. Never heard of him. Hall of Famer. He's never heard of him. Mr. Omaha himself. (laughs) Peyton Manning comes in, is first team all pro. Demarius Thomas takes over as, you know, a Pro Bowl wide receiver. Eric Decker is still there. He's still a superstar. Willis McGahee, no Sean Marino. They're still very good running backs. They go 13-3. and They average 30.1 points a game, up from 19.3 the year before. That's good for second in the NFL. They they have 
30 words, excuse me, they have 6,366 total yards, nearly 400 a game, good for fourth in the NFL. Peyton Manning passes for 4,534. That's fifth in the NFL. And they rush for 1,832 yards. That's 16th. So that's still right there, top half. End up winning the AFC West yet again, get a first-round bye, lose in the divisional round to the Ravens by a field goal. Ravens go on. That was the year Joe Flacco won himself essentially $163 million. They go on to win the Super Bowl. The following year, Peyton Manning is in his second year in the system, another year removed from that next surgery. This year, Adam Gase gets promoted from QB coach to offensive coordinator. He's in control of that offense. Guess what? Peyton Manning, first-team All-Pro, Demarius Thomas, Eric Decker, Julius Thomas. Thomas and Thomas go to the Pro Bowl. No Sean Marino still at running back. They go 13-3 and again. They average 37.9 yards or points per game. That's best in the NFL. That's one of the best all time. Peyton Manning passes, or sorry, the team has a total of 7,317 yards, 457 a game, easily the best in the NFL. Peyton Manning passes for 5,444 yards, sets the touchdown record at 55, has arguably one of the best quarterback seasons in the history of the NFL. Honestly, eclipsed only by possibly uh, Patrick Mahomes uh, this past season, two seasons ago, I guess. No, um, every season, essentially every season. Um, you know, just a truly unreal season. Rush for eighteen hundred seventy-three yards, fifteenth in the NFL. Again, win the AFC West. Win a playoff game, win the division round against the Chargers, win the AFC Championship, go to the Super Bowl, and are just absolutely destroyed by the Seahawks because they break down his uh, audibles at the line of scrimmage. They know what's going on when he yells Omaha. They completely shut them out 43 days. Not completely shut them out, but when you have that historic of a season and only score eight points, yeah, okay, it's essentially a shutout. Again, Peyton Manning comes back, 2014, John Fox, Peyton Manning's pro bowler, Demarius Thomas, Emmanuel Sanders, Julius Thomas, C.J. Anderson, all make the pro bowl. Go 12-4, and still average 30 points a game, top two in the NFL in scoring. Nearly 6,500 total yards, good for fourth in the NFL, averaging over 400 a game. Peyton Manning passes for 4,600 yards. 800 less than the year before, but that's what happens when you set historic records. You regress to the mean. That's how it goes. Fourth in the NFL in passing, 15th again in rushing. Win the AFC West, get a first-round bye, lose to the Colts, who end up losing in the AFC Championship. Following year, Gase is out. Fox is out. They go over to the Bears. Again, Gase is OC. John Fox, head coach. Takes a little step back from Peyton Manning. Now has Jay Cutler. Looking back, after seeing him in his reality show, I fucking love Jay Cutler. I wish I got to see more of him when he played. Uh, Alshon Jeffrey is there as their top receiver. Matt Forte in his age 30 season uh, is their top rusher. Bears go 6-10. and 10. 
Um, so if you look on the stat sheet here, they averaged 20.9 points per game, parentheses plus one. So with Adam Gase taking over a brand new team as the offensive coordinator, that's how they improved. So they gained gotcha. a full point per game with Gase taking over. They're 23rd in the NFL. No change there. 5,500 total yards. Good for 21st in the NFL. No change. Jay Cutler passes for 3,663 yards. They finished ranked 23rd. That drops them eight ranks in the NFL from the previous season. That's not good. Especially when Gase is brought on as the guy who is considered one of the architects of Peyton Manning's superstardom in Denver. Uh, they do rush for 1,800 yards, good for 116 per game. That puts them 11th in the NFL, a 16-spot increase from the year before, but they end up finishing 4th in the NFC North. It's almost like uh, rushing doesn't matter nearly as much as passing does. No, not uh, not in this NFL that we got going on right now. What a that wacky thought. Said, yards are yards, but at the same time, when Adam Gase carries this quarterback whisperer, you know that's what he's known for. That's what he's hired for. Those aren't the kind of changes you want to see. He is let go. Moves. Oh, I don't know if he's let go, but he's hired the following year by the Miami Dolphins. As their head coach, it's his team. It's his offense. He's in full it would, control. It'd be no. the most NFL thing in the world if he got fired and turned that firing into a promotion. <laughs> to be He's fair, very... knowing Adam Gase's career arc, I wouldn't put it past him. He just seems nope. to have that kind of pull somehow. Um, Ryan Tannehill is his quarterback. Jarvis Landry is their top receiver. He's a pro bowler. Jay Ajayi a name I had forgotten about, is their top rusher. He goes to the Pro Bowl as well. <clears throat> Excuse me. They finished 10-6. and six. They have 22.7 points per game. That's a 2.7 point increase per game from the previous year. Their scoring is 17th in the NFL. That's a 10-spot jump from where they were the previous year. That's pretty great. 5,300 total yards, good for 24th in the NFL. That's a two-spot jump. Ryan Tannehill passes for 3,500 yards. That's 26th in the NFL, a nine-spot drop in passing. Again, not a great finish for a guy that's brought in to be a QB whisperer, you know, help out a young Ryan Tannehill that, you know, had up-and-down seasons in the four years leading up to the case taking over. Um, they were trying to, you know, fix him up, get this guy in here who was the architect for Peyton Manning's resurgence, fix our young QB, get us going. Dropping nine spots and passing isn't exactly it. But again, they rushed for 1,800 yards, good for ninth in the NFL, a 14-spot jump in rushing rank. They finished second in the AFC East, go to the playoffs, lose the wild card to the Steelers. Uh, so Gase, mixed feelings about him as a Steelers fan. We'll never forgive him for that overtime loss with Demarius Thomas, but I'll accept the, the loss with the Dolphins is what it is. Next year, they bench Ryan Tannehill, or he gets hurt. I don't remember. I forgot to put the note in here when I looked it up. 
Jay Cutler takes over because that's your solution. Jarvis Landry's still a pro bowler. Kenyon Drake is coming in. He's their leading rusher. They go from 10 and 6 to 6 and 10. They flip the script. They drop from 22.7 points per game to 17.6, 28th in the NFL. So an 11 spot drop. Uh, have under 5,000 total yards, puts them at 25 in the NFL. Jay Cutler passes for 3,500 yards, good for 18th. A little bit of a jump there with veteran Jay Cutler. Okay, I get it. I can see it. Even though they threw for 35 total extra yards, but they jump up eight spots in the rankings. Six spots in the rankings. Math is hard. Um, wait. That's eight. Eight, yes. Wow, math is hard. Um, but they cannot rush anywhere close to the same. Rush for nearly 1,400 yards, good for 29th in the NFL. So the rushing magic is gone. They finished third in the AFC East, missed the playoffs. Again, 2018 comes around. Ryan Tannehill is back. At some point, Brock Osweiler takes over, a name I had forgotten about. Danny Amendola is their leading receiver. Frank Gore is their leading rusher. Not exactly the superstars you would expect. They finished seven and nine, finished under 20 points per game, 26th in the NFL in scoring. They have 4,600 total yards, good for 31st in the NFL. Pass for under 3,000 yards, 30th in the NFL. But they rush for 1,700 yards, finish 18th, finish second in the AFC East, but they miss the playoffs. Guess what? I, 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 I don't know. This, this makes him a pretty hot commodity here. I mean, <laughs> I mean, how I do think. you, how do you, how do you turn down the guy just finished 31st? I mean, that's, that's impressive. You know what? He's a superstar, man. Peyton Manning vouched for him. How could you say, go against that? You know, he called, he called Woody Johnson and said, look, Woody, I'm going to give you a lifetime supply of Papa John's pizza. <laughs> And nationwide insurance. All you have to do is hire Adam Gase for at least three years. Woody, Woody, look at me. You see how big my forehead is? You see how you, you realize how big my brain must be to fit inside a forehead buy, that large? I'm a genius. I'll buy every I'll buy every band-aid in the CVS right now if you if you sign Adam Gase. <laughs> I swear to God, Woody. I won't make fun of you at the ESPYs this year if you hire Adam Case. I promise. Ugh. But the Jets hire Adam Case. They got a young second-year quarterback in Sam Darnold. He gets hurt. Luke Falk has to make some spot starts. Will not hold that against him. I've seen Luke Falk play. It's not pretty. Jameson Crowder, Robbie Anderson are their leading receivers. Le'Veon Bell gets brought in and is their top running back. They go seven and nine. They finish with 17.3 points per game. That's a three and a half point drop from the previous year. 31st in the NFL, drops some eight spots in scoring. Under 4,400 yards total, good for 32nd in the NFL. Three drop, three spot drop from the previous year. Uh, Darnold passes for uh, 3,100 yards. Good for 29th in the NFL, four spot drop from the year before. So this whole QB whisperer 
reputation just has never once shown to be true. Uh, they rushed for 1,200 yards, good for 31st in the NFL, another five-spot drop. So the rushing magic is definitely gone. Finished third in the AFC East. Everyone expects Adam Gase to be fired. Everyone is calling for Adam Gase to be fired. He comes back this year, and boy, what a start has it been. Sam Darnold, the quarterback. Braxton Berrios is their leading receiver so far this season. Frank Gore, who was his leading rusher in 2008, is their lead running back. They were 0-3. They are 0-3. Is that still, they still only, this is week four? This is week three? Uh, this this is this is week four. Okay, they're zero and four. Um, they are zero and point, four. Twelve point three points per game, worst in the NFL. Under eight hundred total yards, worst in the NFL. Five hundred twenty-six passing yards, second to last in the NFL. Two hundred sixty-five rushing yards, twenty-eighth in the NFL. So Corbin, you definitely didn't update this from after the Thursday night game because as it stands right now, they have eleven hundred twelve total yards. Okay, but not updated probably because I'm willing the to bet though. There. I'm willing to bet though the, the placement in the in terms of where the Jets rank though is probably accurate, if not worse than what you're yeah, reading right now. They're not finishing. They're not jumping up into the you know top twenty after the Thursday night game. God, God, no. Um. But here's a little little snippet of information. I told you to remember that year all the way back in 20, wow, 2007 when he was the QB coach of the Lions and that offense finished 16th in scoring. Outside of the three years where Peyton Manning was his quarterback, where Peyton Manning calls plays at the line of scrimmage and as offensive coordinator and QB coach, it's not on him to really call those plays consistently. That is the highest finish Adam Gase has ever had in the NFL at any point. Yeah. Outside of those three years with Hall of Fame quarterback Peyton Manning, his team that he has been a part of has not finished higher than 16th in scoring. Yeah, I want want to take just a hot minute to read what is the um, progression of his ranks in scoring. And I... You know, this is one of those instances, scoring is not the end-all be-all for um, measuring a coach or, any, or oh, anybody. Okay, okay. as but, a coach. I was like, I was going to say, Josh, that's kind of the point. Scoring is, you know. But, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's the thing, though. At the end of the day, it's what matters the most. It's like, would you rather your baseball team get 12 hits in a game and no runs but have the higher batting average? Um where you know the opposing team hits one hit, but it was a home run, and you lost zero to one. Statistically, your team did better, but in the one category that really, really fucking matters, you lost the game. Um, and mm-hmm. so, at the end of the day, I, I you know my caveat issued scoring is not the end all be all, but is still far and away the most important part. Adam Gase, um, starting his, his uh, first year head coaching, twenty sixteen, going on down, his team's finished. Um, rank and scoring 17th, then 28th, 26th, 31st, and 32nd. I don't know how you look at that and say, yes, indeed, this man is the only time his an offense that he was even a part of in any capacity ever finished above 
16th, top half of the league, was the three years Peyton Manning was there when he did it, when it, they were ranked 2-1-2. and two. Every other year is ranked 16th or lower. That's so fucking bad. Not even a weird, like, fluke season somewhere in there. Only literal, actual Peyton Manning saved this guy. Mm-hmm. It's unbelievable. And it's not like he was gaining yards and just couldn't execute in the red zone or had to settle for a lot of field goals, what have you. His highest rank outside of those Manning years in total yards was 13th. That's not great. That's no. not that's like sure, 13th is not a, a bad season overall for an individual team, but for a coaching history that lasts, you know, that spans 13, 15 years, excuse me. That's the highest you can ever do without a superstar guaranteed first ballot in the GOAT argument quarterback is not good. That's bad. There's like every time he takes over as an offensive coordinator, his passing yards takes a major decline. We're in a passing league and happened for years. His reputation is as a QB coach a passing oriented coach and it gets worse every single time i just i don't get it he's not a good play caller no it's genuinely astonishing it is is so fucking bad and at at this point it's got to be evident you know at this point we're not really breaking any any wild preconceived notions that this guy's good he is universally discussed as being bad um every analyst you'll hear on any i've never in all his time serving as the jets head coach which is you know a year and a half and feels like seven um heard an analyst say this guy's a good head coach getting and think about how wild that is to hear a consensus opinion from football talk show analysts like, think about how wild it is that everyone can universally agree that Adam Gase is a bad head coach. You never get, we don't get that from anyone. There were Todd Bowles defenders when he got fired. Yeah. There's defenders of most head coaches. I mean, especially the head coaches who have short tenures. There was so much room for, for um, ah, well, you know, he got hosed by this, that, the other thing. There's none of that. This guy's awful. He's so bad at what he does. Fire him from my team for the love of God. It's crazy. I, uh. I get why they view their offensive structure and say, we are just not set up to fi- fire this guy midseason because we have nobody to take over. I get being concerned about that. If you're going to keep him on because of that for the season, that's a mistake, but if you are able to continue with a scouting search, if you're interviewing other candidates, if you have a committee together to find the next quarterback, or not the next quarterback, the next head coach, while retaining Adam Gates for the season, and internally you decide, all right, we're tanking for Trevor Lawrence, Trey Lance next year. I still think it's a mistake to keep Adam Gase there, but I can accept it. I can't. If, 
I I still think it's a bad decision because you're setting that tone that this is acceptable. You're affecting that team chemistry, attitude, and you know, winning expectation. And you're basically just giving up on Sam Darnold because he is only going to continue to regress with Adam Gase there and there won't be any improvement. And I get you don't have anyone there to give Sam Darnold to build under, to grow under because Adam Gase is the play caller. His offensive coordinator isn't there to be some schemer or anything to, you know, call up plays. It's just a guy there. Um, you know, Jim Bob Cooter, I think, is still a guy that could come in and be a interim offensive coordinator and do a fine job. But I just, it's a lose-lose situation. Uh, it's And that's just kind of the, the corner that they've painted themselves into. Well, I think the thing is, is that everyone's going to understand if they fire their head coach and then that guy struggles for the rest of the season to... Right make coaching adjustments. Everyone's going to get it. You know, the players will get it. The fans will get it. Everyone gets it. No one gets what's happening right now. I don't fucking get it. I doubt the players are thrilled. I doubt anybody's thrilled. I mean, my God, this man is a detriment. And you know what? He's, we're getting subject. Think about this. It is week four and we are already hearing the question talked about on every radio network. We've talked about it on this podcast already. What would the Jets do if they had the first overall pick? Do they keep Sam Darnold? That's where we're at. It's so bad. This That's how bad it is right now that we're talking about scrapping a rebuild that never got off its, uh, got on its feet, that never got off the ground. That's how bad this guy is ahead coaching. That's how bad this team situation is right now. That we are year three into a rebuild, and it's so bad, they're talking about fucking starting over again. It's unbelievable. It is unbelievable. It is just one of those situations where no matter what happens... It's it's not it's a it's a situation where they can't improve. They can improve by getting rid of Gase, but their team's still going to be bad, and I, I they're not going to be able to grow the players that they have unless because I uh, it just sucks. The, There's you're no right. reason they're, for they're it only... to be there, but getting rid of them isn't exactly going to improve the team in the short run. I actually think it might. I think it might be addition via subtraction. Um, I, I you know what? genuinely yeah, I think, think he's right. back. I, I fully think Jim Bob Cooter's, you know, as as rough of his as his uh, history as an offense coordinator was, it's still better than this. How can you but, say improve under that? What? I, hold on one second. I I want to look at something. I have a a page open. I wonder if it would give me uh the right stat I'm looking for. So I have Sam Darnold's um, stats open, and I want to look at his... Do we have advanced passing? Advanced rushing and receiving. I have adjusted passing. Advanced passing. Okay. Um, Intended air yards per pass attempt. Okay, this is what I this is what I wanted. So this is how... Basically, the thing that this is is how far down the field... 
is the guy I'm throwing to. All right. In 2018, his first season in the NFL under Todd Bowles, 9.3 yards intended air yards per pass attempt. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's about 10. It's, you know, a little under 10 yards. So it's, it seems like it would be a decent mix of over 10 yard plays and your check down plays for a rookie. That's real good. Absolutely. Um, Second year, 2019, 8.2 yards. A little bit of a step back. It's not unreasonable. It's obviously moved in the wrong direction. But, and, and this is also, by the way, the first year under Gase. Uh, but it's not untenable. You can come back. From, you know, regression's expected. This year, 7.4. Oof. That means, Oof. on average, he is trying to throw the ball two yards fewer on average, than he did his rookie season. He's getting more conservative with the ball. That's not what you want out of a gunslinger, out of any quarterback, to start to, to have his direction. He's he, If you show me these three numbers, I would assume we're talking about somebody from their age 32 to 35 season, not 21 to 23. Mm-hmm. He's going the wrong direction. When he should only be getting better. And hold on one second, because now I'm curious. Now let's look at Josh Allen. I wonder how his stats compare. Oh, well, he's just going to be monumentally better. Yeah, specifically. You know what? I I have to admit, I'm pretty awful at scouting quarterbacks, apparently, because Josh Allen has completely flipped the switch this year. And Justin Herbert today is just making me look like a fucking idiot because he looks like a superstar and he's making all the right decisions. I know that's a complete non sequitur, but I just have to admit I'm a, apparently a super bad QB scout. <laughs> hey, yeah. And we will all take that into consideration come draft time. Oh, um, so actually, this is a pretty interesting thing. Josh Allen's also going down 11 intended air yards per pass attempt in 2018, 9.3 in 2019, 8.5 in 2020, also getting more conservative. But here's an interesting difference that I wouldn't have picked out, and now I'm curious about it. Um, Completed air yards per completion, I guess, might be a a little bit more of a better gauge. Sam Darnold, 2018, 6.7 completed air yards per completion. Um, In 2019, 5.7 went down a full yard. 2020, 4.7 went down another full yard, which means that in 2020, he is attempting two fewer yards per pass attempt than he was in 2018. And he is completing two fewer yards per pass per completion than he was in 2018. (laughs) Not good. Some would say not fucking good. Josh Allen uh, completed air yards per completion. 6.7 in 2018, 6.5 in 2019, so statistically the same, 7.8 in 2020. So he is intending, his intended air yards is 8.5. His completed air yards, 7.8. Sam Darnold isn't even attempting 7.8 average uh, air yards. And he's only completing 4.7 of them. Sam Darnold, listen to this. This is wild. Completed air yards per pass attempt. Sam Darnold, 2.8. 2.8 completed air yards per pass attempt. 
Josh Allen, five and a half. Double. Fucking double. Josh, if you want to see what Adam Gase does to quarterbacks and to players he has under, you know, his offensive scheme, let's move on to the next tab. <sighs> Sorry, you're right. I, I, I can sit here and be mad about this all day. <laughs> aptly titled Escape from Miami. Basically, this is a breakdown. I forgot to change the first column's names, but whatever. BG, Gase, and AG. Before Gase and after Gase. It's exactly what it sounds like. Um, It's just averages over, you know, the period of time before Adam Gase comes to town, while he's there, and what they've done after he left. So I think the best way to start this off is Ryan Tannehill. Um, All right. So he had four seasons before Adam Gase got there playing for the Dolphins. I included the two immediately leading up to Adam Gase's start there um, just because, you know, rookie sophomore seasons for quarterbacks can be wildly up and down. They don't have their feet under them in the NFL. Years three and four, I think things start to, um, what is it, uh, like buoy themselves, average out, you get a, a clearer picture. And I think that would just provide us with a, a, a more clear picture of who Ryan Tannehill was when Gase got there. Um, and, you know, everything else kind of fits together better. So in 2014, 2015, 32 total games, finished 14 and 18. Ryan Tannehill, Ryan Tannehill, excuse me, completed 64.2% of his passes, averaged 4,126 yards over the course of a 16-game season. So completion on over is all 16-game averages, not totals, not you know what he actually did. 16-game averages, just to make this as comparable as possible. Averaged 26 touchdowns to 12 interceptions. Average yards per attempt, adjusted average yards per attempt, was 7, which is fair. A 90.8 QB rating and got sacked 7.2% of the time. 2016, 2017, 2018, when Ryan Tannehill was quarterback under Gase with Miami, he started 24 games, went 13-11, and completed 65.9% of his passes, Slight bump for 3,316 yards per season, 24 touchdowns to 14 interceptions. Completed a little more, but produced a lot less. He did have an adjusted yards per attempt of 7.2, slight uptick, slight uptick to a 93.2 rating, and got sacked 8.8% of the time. After going to Tennessee and ceased playing for Adam Gase, he has played in 15 total games. He's gone 10 and 3. Has a average completion percentage of 69.5, jump, 37 88 yards per season, 30 touchdowns, 7 interceptions, 9.7 adjusted yards per attempt, a 114.4 rating and an 8% sack rate. Massive massive uptick when getting out from underneath Adam Gase's thumb. That being said, everyone knows this. This has been widely discussed, widely talked about. 
we all know how much Ryan Tannehill blossomed last season. That's just the way it is. You know, it, it's tough, but it's the clearest picture we got for what this does. Uh, Any comments on Ryan Tannehill before we move on to player number two? Uh Yes, I I will say it. If 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 a Bill Belichick has taught us anything, it is that you do not need someone who is considered to be a goat for their position or whatever to be an effective playmaker in the NFL. And seeing what fucking Mike Vrabel or whatever his first name is did with Ryan Tannehill in Tennessee is case in fucking point. No one's going to sit here and tell you that Ryan Tannehill necessarily is that guy from last season 100% of the time. But the fact that he can be schemed for and used appropriately to meet that end shows that you do not need to have a Peyton Manning, an Aaron Rodgers, a Russell Wilson, necessarily speaking, to get good production out of the quarterback position. It is bananas. It's fucking ridiculous that we have to sit here and have a conversation about whether or not to keep Sam Darnold logistically and talent-wise because we're this far down the gase rabbit hole. Anyway, sorry. I'm. Ugh. It's disgusting. It really is. I mean, he's the clearest example we have. Like, that's known. But my goodness, it's just night and day. Just how much better Ryan Tannehill was utilized when you had an offensive coordinator and a head coach that was willing to work towards his strengths and willing to get creative with play calling and just be progressive, evolving play callers. All right, let's, uh, let's get to the next one. Kenyon Drake, moving on. Started his career in 2016 when he was drafted. So we don't have a BG stat line for you. But while he was in Miami, he had played in 48 games, averaged 453 yards per season, 4.7 yards per attempt, three touchdowns, 31 receptions, 254 yards, two touchdowns, two fumbles. In the 17 games he's played for the Arizona Cardinals, he has played in, or he's averaged 975 yards, 4.6 an attempt, eight touchdowns, 52 receptions, 344 yards, no touchdowns, and still two fumbles. So efficiency has remained the same, essentially completely on par with averages there. It's just utilization has jumped up a lot, and he's used to a point where he's able to score. It's not like he has become an all-pro running back the way Ryan Tannehill did, but guess what? You use good players better. You use good players more. They jump up in their stat numbers and produce a lot more. And the, and it's 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 the it's the playing to strengths conversation that we've had every time we talk about rec- most recently Le'Veon Bell, especially with the Jets, mm-hmm. is that you have a guy that is, I mean, one of the most multifaceted players in the history of the running back position, and they're using him to like run up the gut on first and ten every every time, and are surprised that his efficiency numbers are going down when he's not being used in the way that made him the greatest yards from scrimmage player of all time. I mean, 
it's because like you're right the the yards per attempt efficiency stat for Kenyon Drake is the same but you would still take the post a uh Gase Kenyon Drake every time because look oh my god he's getting touchdowns more he's get he's receiving more he's getting more yards from those receptions like oh very anyway uh, yeah I, I just you know I love me some Le'Veon Bell I was in love with him when he was on the Steelers. I thought he was one of the best running backs I've ever watched. He was a first ballot Hall of Famer. And he has been turned into a shell of his former self because he just is not utilized effectively. Um, This next one, not exactly the clearest picture. I didn't even realize he played in Miami. But Damien Williams uh, became a household name after playing with the Chiefs. before Adam Gase came in, he had played in 16 games, averaged 90 yards a season, three and a half yards per attempt, no touchdowns, 21 receptions, 164 yards, a touchdown, and a fumble. While Gase was there, he played in 26 games, 182-yard average, 3.7 yards an attempt, two touchdowns, 26 catches, 249 yards, two touchdowns, a fumble. After going to the Chiefs and leaving Adam Gase behind, 27 games, 447-yard average, 4.7 yards per attempt, five touchdowns, 31 receptions, 221 yards, two touchdowns, a fumble. Again, not major, major increases, but you see just a small change in coaching, in offense, and he produces significantly more. Next shocking uh, revelation. Right. Next up, Devontae Parker. A super clear example. Before before Adam Gase. 14 games. Average 50 yards a target. 50 yards. 50 targets a season. My goodness. 26 receptions, 494 yards, 19 yards per reception, three touchdowns, no fumbles. To be fair. That was his rookie season. With Gase there, he played in 39 games, averaged 94 targets, 56 receptions, 707 yards, down from 19 yards per reception to 12.6, goes right back to what we talked about with Sam Darnold, two touchdowns and a fumble. Adam Gase leaves. Devontae Parker remains in Miami. They go from Ryan Tannehill, who had the most efficient season in the history of the NFL last year, to Ryan Fitzpatrick, the career journeyman NFL quarterback, and has averaged 122 targets a season, 72 receptions, 1,155 yards, 15.9 yards per reception, eight touchdowns, and no fumbles absolute breakout with a worse quarterback just a better play caller <sighs> and it's it just goes back he went from 94 targets a year to 122 because guess what you have good players on your team you have skilled players on your team you utilize them you target them you game plan to get them touches you put the ball in their hands they produce that's and it's like way. that's how it's always worked. That's how it will always work. It, it it it's like look at 
what makes Kansas City so great right now? Not only is the quarterback talent that Patrick Mahomes possesses stupid, they are also building around the assets the team has and the functions that that team performs well. And that marriage is one of the most broken offenses in like the history of football. Yeah. Like, and this, this team would be good. Not this good, of course, but they would be good if Patrick Mahomes wasn't their quarterback. Cause that's how like this Think about the, the, when Alex Smith led this team, Alex Smith led this team to an 11 and five season the year before he, uh, he got traded to, to Washington or signed a contract with Washington because Andy A's like, Oh, having, it shouldn't be on, it can't be on just your quarterback shoulders to do everything when they're providing nothing. And it shouldn't take a quarterback to perform out of his fucking goal in order for you to win a game. And the Jets haven't even won a game yet. Yep. It's it's just one of those things where I don't want to compare Adam Gase to Andy Reid because it's one unfair of them is a Hall Reed. of Famer. Yeah. And one of them is the worst coach in the NFL right now. That's Maybe ever. To both of them. But it's just so clear how poorly he utilizes what he has and everything else involved with that. Another example, Jarvis Landry. Before Adam Gase gets there, he played in 32 games, averaged 139 targets a season, 97 receptions, 958 yards. <coughs> Excuse me. 9.9 yards of reception, four touchdowns, four fumbles. With Adam Gase, 32 games, 146 targets, 103 receptions, 1,062 yards, 10.3 yards of reception, six touchdowns, three fumbles. Those are all better numbers across the board. I will say part of this could be the fact that Jarvis Landry is getting better as a player. Part of it could be that he's just so good as a slot receiver, especially in that time you know, at Miami. It's hard not to give him that target share. And even a broken clock is right twice a day. Even so, since leaving Miami and becoming essentially the number two receiver on another team, he's played in 16 games, averaged 137 targets, slight drop down, 80 receptions, hilarious drop down, just the catch percentage in Cleveland has been atrocious. Truly, like, remarkably bad. But still averages over 1,000 yards at 1,048. His yards per reception is magically up to 13.0. And he still has five touchdowns and now no interception or no fumbles. So while the quality of passes he's getting is much worse, he's doing more with them. He's scoring at the same clip, fumbling less. That, you know, I'm not going to put that on Adam Gase. But even though he's being utilized a little less overall, he's getting better spots. And he's a number two receiver. Last guy I have here, Mike Gesicki. His only year with Adam Gase was his rookie season. He had 32 targets, 22 receptions, 202 yards, 9.2 yards per reception. Zero touchdowns and a fumble. Since then, 19 games. 
91 targets, so up threefold, 53 receptions, 627 yards, 11.8 yards per reception, six touchdowns, and a fumble. So major uptick. I will give the caveat of rookie tight ends aren't exactly known for producing. This is really more of, you know, what could have been rather than completely on Adam Gase, but don't think that's me defending him. Boy, my throat is sore. Yeah, you're uh, not used to talking this much on this show. No, not at all. Any final Uh, thoughts on this tab? I mean, it is fairly self-explanatory. Guys get better when Adam Case isn't around. Um, yeah, actually, you know what? Just to on the fly see something. Um, I'm gonna pull up another person's stats real quick, just Ooh. to compare. Who you got? Who you got? Um, hold on. Uh, I hate when pro football reference doesn't come up first. <laughs> All right. He played in Buffalo? Anyway, um, Chris Hogan. <laughs> so, you know, everyone's like, oh my God, Chris Hogan. That's all that you know, Sam Darnold has to throw to Chris Hogan. Yeah, it's not ideal Sam Darnold has to throw to Chris Hogan, but just for reference, um, Chris Hogan yards per reception in New England, 17.9, 12.9, and 15.2. Uh, Chris Hogan on the Jets. Eight point nine. Oh. Um, that's not good. No, 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 no. It's not. Chris Hogan catch percent in New England sixty five point five, sixty fifty fifty seven point six, and sixty three point six. Chris Hogan catch percent with uh, Adam Gase forty seven point eight, the lowest of his career. Uh this is. Oh my god. I I mean, you know, this isn't the end all be all, but wow, it's just ridiculous. Oh, come on, Josh. Are we really going to hold Adam Gase accountable for a lacrosse player's statistics? I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I really wanted to include Julius Thomas in this because of, you know, how much he, he dropped off, but at the same time looking through his stats, it's he really only ever played for Adam Gase and Peyton Manning, so it's like that wouldn't have been a clear picture and would have been very, very muddled. True. Um, so I do have the next tab here that's draft history. But that being said, I don't think it really fits as well as I was trying to hope it would uh, just because it is really hard to determine how much input he had uh, as a head coach um, and as an offensive coordinator in the draft process. That being said, since becoming a head coach, he has drafted a total of five players that have, in you know my eyes, hit, been effective NFL players. Laramie Tunsil, who was a easy gimme who fell because of the you know the 
famous gas mask video that was dropped the day of the draft. Should have been a top five pick, fell to 13. It's hard not to fuck that one up. Kenyon Drake, that same year in 2016, who wouldn't have been a hit if he didn't leave Adam Gase's team. 2018, Mike Gesicki, who really didn't break out until Adam after Adam Gase left. Chuma Adoga, who is a, a right tackle for the Jets right now. And uh, I, 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 by all means, he's worked out and he seems to have played well. But again, I'm not an offensive line scout. I am not good at it. I can't speak specifically to how well he's done. And I will say that being said, Makai Becton has looked truly phenomenal. And again, an easy, easy gimme at 11th overall. So it's hard to fuck that one up. The other 15 guys on here either haven't played enough or just have completely flopped. So not a whole lot to write home about with the Adam Gase draft history. The next tab we got free agents from this offseason. There's not a whole lot to talk about here other than the fact that every single one of these contracts was built and structured so that there would be nothing holding them back from getting cut when Adam Gase was fired after this season. You know, Douglas got brought in and essentially was like, I want to fire Adam Gase these two fuckers that are owning the team and telling me who I can and cannot fire are saying, no way, Jose. I get that. I'm just not going to... I'm going to ensure that Adam Gase is... Well, not ensure, because Adam Gase is going to do it to himself. But (laughs) when he gets fired next year, I'm going to make sure none of the guys that he's pushing for to bring in are still here so we have a clean slate. The only exception is Connor McGovern, who by all means is just a good football player and is the kind of guy you want to keep on. Um, so of all the players, uh, the 12 players that were signed this offseason by the Jets, only four of them got multi-year contracts. And of those four, only Connor McGovern has guarantees after this season that are not able to be avoided with a early cut. Um, George Fant does have four and a half million guaranteed, but that's voided if he's cut before the fifth league day of the following season. So if they want to cut him and avoid having that dead cap, they can do that. Yeah, we talked about this before. The 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 Jets didn't, you know, give out any real big contracts. They have a fuck ton of cap space. It seems all very odd, but it's it seems like they were prepared like Joe Douglas was prepared to move on from Gase and then build a team that he wanted afterwards. But we'll have to fucking see. Man, I don't get what's happening and I just want this guy off my team. And that uh, brings us to the final tab, which is the twenty twenty one where the Jets are going to be next year. They're set up to really be able to get some quality top players on their team. They currently have five picks in the top 100, two first-rounders, a second, and two-thirds, thanks to the Jamal Adams trade. Granted, they lost Jamal Adams, but this allows them to get some good, young, cheap players to build around either Sam Darnold or whoever their top quarterback becomes when you know they draft in the top five next year. Um, they could get a second, fourth rounder if 
um, if Leonard Williams ends up re-signing with the Giants. Uh, that pick would end up moving from a fifth to a fourth round pick. Um, and then the first link that you have there is the cap situation for the Jets, which I just found this tool on the SpotTrack website. If George Fant and uh, Van Roten are released this offseason, they would basically be saving $11 million in cap space, which would put them at $83.5 million in total cap space going into next year, which gives them, hey, if they have a top QB coming in, if they have a Trevor Lawrence coming in, you're going to be able to sign some quality offensive players who would want to be a part of that. You're going to have Le'Veon Bell. You'll have Jameson Crowder. You'll have, you know, uh, Denzel Mims. You'll have Mekhi Becton. You'll have Connor McGovern. You'll have Alex Lewis. You could get yourself another wide receiver if you want it. You could get yourself another tackle if you want it. You have the room to build around this quarterback. And guess what? You still have Sam Darnold that I'm sure you could trade for a quality day one, day two pick if they're willing to move on from him. They have they have got a lot of space and they've got a lot of capital to really turn this team around next year. As we have been saying for years, but I don't know. They you got I a just, good coach. You got Joe Douglas, who I believe in. Any team can turn it around. The Browns have done it. They're, I, they're I agree. For at least. They're three and one. Um, three and one. They put up 48 on this fucking Cowboys today. I just, I, I've been thinking a lot recently about how I cannot believe the Jets turned away Matt Rule because they didn't want to let him have control over the coaching staff. I just, I've been thinking about that so much. Oh, man. It hurts. It hurts. Anyway, um, this is awesome, even though it makes me, I can't think of the last time I sighed this much during an episode. Uh, this is, this was just so well put together. Good job, man. This is, this was great. Thank you. This is what I did instead of working this week. So, well, we love to I see really, it. I really hope my boss doesn't listen to this episode, but. Yeah, he wouldn't. Oh, hey, one more fan. Uh, maybe you'd have a lot more free time to do more of these. <laughs> that means he'd fire you. Uh, anyway, um, before before we get out of here, one last final thing. I just want to give note to the passing of yet another legend in the sports world, and in my heart, um, Bob Gibson passed away uh, a couple days ago. October second, um, it 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 hurts. Even though it's not a surprise, he's had cancer for a while, and he's been out of uh, the public eye for for a little while now. But he was a titan of the game, um, a, a, a titan for. It's also it, it can't really be overstated how crazy, um, how how important it was for him to be a black pitcher because when when black players started first coming into the sport a lot of them were hitters there were exceptions like don newcomb but a lot of them were hitters because it was that weird we talked about this before about how there's you know there was a weirdness around black quarterbacks because 
there was a you know this the racist thing of like well you got to be smart to play quarterback anyone can catch the ball and be a wide receiver that shit it was the same thing with with pitching so bob gibson being like the most dominant pitcher in the sport at the time causing there to be a rule change the lowering of the mound after his 1968 season um meant a lot it was a huge deal it remains being a huge deal he was uh a legend in every single way. Uh, I'm going to take a brief moment just to read off. Um, not necessarily. I'll read some stats, but I want to uh, read his his Hall of Fame uh, page uh, from the Baseball Hall of Fame website. Um, Bob Gibson may well have been the most intimidating pitcher in history. He was certainly one of the most successful. The Omaha, Nebraska native excelled at basketball, sorry, baseball and basketball in high school and played college hoops for Creighton University before a brief stint with the Harlem Globetrotters. In 1957, he signed with the Cardinals and made his big league debut in 1959. A 15-game winner by 62, Gibson began to take flights soon after. He won 18 games in 1963 and 19 in the Cardinals' pennant-winning season of 64 when he went uh, nine and two in his final eleven starts down the stretch to lead the Redbirds in the World Series against the Yankees. He went two and one, winning Game Five at Yankee Stadium and then Game Seven at home on two days rest. He was named World Series MVP. He was a twenty-game winner in '65 and '66, winning the first nine consecutive, first of nine consecutive Gold Glove awards in '65. A broken ankle in July of 67 slowed him down to a 13-7 and record, including three wins in the late, in, late in the season to help the Cardinals clinch another pennant. He went 3-0 and with an ERA of 1 in the Cardinals' victory over the Red Sox, winning games 1, 4, and 7 and picking up his second World Series MVP award. The 67 season has become known as the year of the pitcher, and Bob Gibson was certainly the pitcher of the year. He went 22-9 and with a sparkling ERA of 1.12, go along with 268 strikeouts, 13 shutouts, 15 consecutive wins, and a stretch of 95 innings in which he gave up just two runs. He was again 2-1 and in the World Series, beating the Tigers in Game 1 and Game 4 before going the distance in the Game 7 loss. Gibson brought home both the 1968 Cy Young Award and the NL MVP Award. And in the ultimate compliment, baseball lowered the mound following the season because pitchers led by Gibson were dominating hitters and games were historically low scoring. Gibson earned a second Cy Young Award in 1970 and pitched a no-hitter against the Pirates in 71. Injuries were beginning to take their toll, however, and Gibson wound down with double-figure victory totals in 73 and 74 before retiring in 75. Gibson, 17 years with the Cardinals, netted 251 victories, 3,117 strikeouts, 56 shutouts, and an ERA of 2.91. He later served as a pitching coach for the Mets, Braves, and Cardinals. He was elected to the Hall of Fame in 1981, his first ballot, and the MLB All-Century team in 1999. Joe Torre. Bob Gibson's teammate from 69 to 75 and sometimes battery mate said pride, sorry, quote, pride, intensity, talent, respect, dedication. You need them all to describe Bob Gibson. Bob Gibson passed away October 2nd, 2020. Uh, I mean, the picture of fierceness, uh, the picture of a competitor. uh, I mean, he's going to be missed, man. 
Yeah, I mean, that was an absolute beautiful eulogy. I, I really, I could not say anything better than you just did. Um, really just the highlight of when you are that dominant of a player at your position where the rules and dimension of the field you play on have to be changed to combat how effective you are against the rest of the league. You know, that can't be understated. You know, that's like uh, the field being like narrowed to keep Patrick Mahomes from throwing so many touchdowns. Uh, you know, I can't remember anyone else who has had that much of an impact on the sport itself and the field itself, uh, like Bob Gibson with the sport of baseball. So, um, will truly be missed. And, you know, I don't, I'm sure you saw his, uh, video on the discussion of cheating in baseball and steroids. Um, yeah. Steroids and how, you know, honest he was that he's, self-proclaimed so lucky to have not been in that position because of how good he was but being you know very honest with himself and with the rest of the fans and reporters who were watching that you know what you always fight for that competitive edge in any sport and he understands it would be a tough decision to make when when you find a way to combat how these things are being used against you and you would find a way to give yourself a competitive edge against your opponent and you know, that's a take that we usually don't see, and we usually don't have guys be that honest with us uh, as fans, as quote-unquote members of the media. Um, it's always usually those politically correct, the the right types of statements, and, you know, it's always nice to appreciate uh, players and former players who are willing to give you the honest picture, and um, Bob Gibson will truly, truly be missed. Uh, I'm, I'm going to offer one, one final stat and then, and then we'll, we'll, we'll wrap up and get out of here. This has been a very long episode. Um, just to underscore Bob Gibson's competitive nature, he has 251 wins. He has 255 complete games. That's ridiculous. He has four more complete games than he has wins. The men never gave in furious every time he had to come out of a game the man was his own goddamn bullpen it's un uh it's unreal absolutely unreal um i'd like to take this moment very briefly to also shout out um the negro league baseball museum now's a great time to donate um as it always is but especially if you would like to find some way to honor bob gibson in particular um negro league baseball museum does a lot of great work and uh bob kendrick who runs it uh does a lot of uh Great outreach, uh, in part recently in the name of Bob Gibson, um, telling his stories. So that's that on that. Uh, if you would like to follow the show on Twitter, you can do so at JuicingPod. If you'd like to hit us up via email, you can do so at JuicingTheNumbers at gmail.com. And uh, until Thursday, y'all have a good one. Bye.